This episode of Storylines is brought to you by Department 9 Studios, home of Department 9 Entertainment, Music, and Digital. Department 9 Studios produces film, television, music, and interactive digital media in the heart of Edmonton. They support creative people with state-of-the-art equipment from their multifaceted studio. Learn more by visiting their website, dept9studios.com. Department 9 Studios. Creativity starts here. Welcome to Storylines, a podcast brought to you by WIFTA, Women in Film and Television, Alberta. I'm your host, Sheena Rosser. On this week's episode... Various magazines called me the master of verite cinema here in Canada. And I did quite a few feature documentaries in this style. We're in conversation with documentary filmmaker Rosvita Dransfeld. A documentary director and producer, Rosvita's body of work is extensive. She started her career as a broadcast journalist in her native Germany and made the transition into documentary film after moving to Canada in 2000. Over the past two decades, she's produced and directed more documentaries than she can count, all in her adopted home of Edmonton, where she runs her company, ID Productions. It doesn't make sense really to make a film unless it has a market value. You want as many people as possible to see it. The distributor is really essential. Rosvita was recently nominated for an Emmy Award for her work on Vital Bonds, a documentary that explores the world of organ donation at the University of Alberta Hospital. So we actually do have an organ for her, and it is a very good organ. Goodbye, my son. I will see you again, Matthew. I love you, Matthew. I love you. Her cinema verite style films are character driven and they look at the human condition in its many forms. Rosvita, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me here, Sheena. You started out as a broadcast journalist in your home country of Germany, but what made you want to transition into making documentary films? Well, in here in Edmonton, so I looked at the broadcast scene here and it's mostly news. News often just based on a cat sitting on the tree and the firefighters come and rescue it. And after my career for a big public broadcaster in Germany, I didn't feel that this would be something I would be happy with doing this. But then I realized that Canada is really the country that has uh, developed and created documentary. And there's a really strong documentary community here in this country. And I had done a few in Germany before, so I thought this would be maybe the best way to do it, to to get into documentaries and learn how to direct and produce um, feature films. So was that transition challenging then? In a way, yes, it was, because besides making all these connections here in Canada to be able to sell a show like this and um, to understand the funding system and financially or fiscally it only makes sense when you are not only the filmmaker but you have to be the producer as well and the writer and narrator if possible. You have to wear many hats. Many, many hats it sounds there. So clearly it was the right move for you though because you've had a string of successful films from the 2012 documentary Who Cares that looks at sex workers on the streets here in Edmonton 
And you've also looked at films like The Ward in 2014, that CBC documentary that looks at kidney dialysis. Most of your documentaries have been set here in Edmonton. How do you go about finding your stories and the characters? So my stories are always based on something that I've learned through news media or through um, reading. So, for example, Broke. It was really um, inspired by CBC News because there they were then for a while they were always talking about the turkey run for the needy. And I found this term needy, so if I think it's really demeaning, but it wasn't used in a way to be demeaning. It was just thoughtless, a thoughtless way of using language. So I thought I would like to look into this world and, and there's so many misconceptions and um, preconceptions regarding this world. But I didn't and I never do make films about victims. Yeah? These poor me films, I don't make them. I like to show people in when they fight, when they, when they want to, to make ends meet, when they make decisions to uh, better their lives or just to survive. So this is then why I decided, well, this the best would be then to set it in a pawn shop. So how do you go about gaining the trust and access? Because as documentary filmmakers, what really makes the film is bringing your viewers into a world that they normally don't have access to it. How long does it normally take you to gather that trust? It really depends on it. With Broke, it was, uh, was fairly easy because I approached this pawnbroker and, um, and he was interested in, in making a film. But, but then I spent quite some time in the pawn shop just to gain the trust of the clientele and, and to get them excited and for them to know that there will, will be a film in the end and so that they, in advance, already were buying into it. I don't want to let it go. Thank you. They come because they're desperate. They need money. For whatever reason, where else are they going to get money? In the case of prostitution film, it was not difficult to get access to, to the women on the streets. If you are genuine and if you are an honest person and you, are, you go out there without any preconceptions and you just really want to, t to give them an opportunity to tell their stories, then they are very open for this opportunity. It was really more difficult to get access through um, Project CARE. RCMP and city police created this uh, task force that would go out every night and um, collect uh, DNA samples of these women to create a database so that in case they would be found dead, um, they would have a chance to identify them. To get access there, to see the streets through their eyes and, and through the stories of the women they would meet along the way, to get this kind of access with, uh, with something like the RCMP, that was a little bit more difficult. On that note, you've said before that when you see scripted dramas, they're structured in a way to have an emotional experience. And documentaries, you can experience that too because it is real people. Do you think that people identify even more with your projects because they are real people and they feel that sense of emotion when it's the story is told right? 
Maybe not in all cases, but I would say it happens quite a, quite a lot. Now I have to tell a little anecdote from Brooke. When Brooke was premiered here in Edmonton at the Global Visions Film Festival, which is now Northwest Film, I think. After the screening, there was the typical Q&A. And I had um, the pawnbroker, David, and uh, his assistant, Chris Hort, on the stage. At that point, they did not like each other anymore. They had fallen out. David would stand in the far left corner and, uh, and and Chris would stand in the far right corner. At least they both showed up, I guess. They both showed up, yeah. They were keen enough to be there on the stage. Some questions were addressed to them and it was uh, quite a thing for me. So I was always going back and forth between them on the stage. And then at the very end of it, suddenly somebody stands up and he says, oh my God, I've got it. And you know, I thought I was just going to the movies, but now I realize you are real. These are real people, you and you. This is this is really what happened. This is really the, the life you have. This is what you do. Yep. And he was just blown away by it. So maybe for some, at least, it has a deeper meaning to watch a documentary. If it's authentic and really is able to transport the emotions. You were recently nominated for an Emmy Award for your work on Vital Bonds, but how did that film come about? Oh, that's, this was a long process. It started with the award, the film I did at the university hospital about uh, people who are on dialysis. After that, I thought, well, this is an amazing setting for documentary. It's an amazing setting, especially for, for Verite cinema, because you have a defined environment People can't really run away. Um, you have a really huge conflict there. It is, um, it's, um, it's life and death. So we actually do have an organ for her. And it is a very good organ. You have staff that is, the people who work there that are so amazingly dedicated and highly educated. You have the desperation and the waiting and the joy when um, when lives have been saved. It is an astounding setting. And so, yeah, it was, was not easy to get access so to go through Alberta Health service, Services and to convince them that they should take this risk and let us do the filming. But... That took a while, but we were able to sort it out. And so from then on, they were amazingly supportive. And I think they're proud of um, of both films. So we did two films, uh, a 90-minute feature documentary called Memento Mori, From Life Comes Death. No, From Death Comes Life. It's this way around. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then we did um, the TV version for CBC, The Nature of Things, and there we have some science elements in it too. Because a lot of science around organ donation even has been um, developed and researched here at the University Hospital. It was an amazing experience. It was hard to film this, and it was hard to organize the filming. We were filming over 50 days, and over a period of about four or five months. And in order to be able to do it, so the, the team had to be on call all the time. So And uh, and they were going out day and night, always uh, depending on what kind of emergency was happening. But when you watch the film, you really get an, an idea of the, the value a life has in Canada. 
And we are so lucky. We have really the the state of the art uh, facility there with the university hospital and the people who work there. So, yeah, this is one part where we should be lucky to live in Edmonton. You mentioned there that it was really challenging to make this film. Was there ever a moment where you just wanted to give up because you thought maybe it wouldn't get made? There are rejections. But if you have a vision and if you know this is a very strong vision and it is an important film, especially for all these people who have these misconceptions that if you've signed your donor card, they don't even wait for you to die properly because they just want to harvest your organs. Or that if you uh, if you get transplanted the heart of somebody else, then then you will inherit this person's soul. So there are all these stories out there, yeah, that you will have a different personality um, afterwards. I knew it was important to tell the story and to tell the story for all these people who are on these waiting lists, and so the majority still die on these waiting lists, you know, because there are not enough organs available. So it was a story really to to help people to get a life. So how can you give up on that? You can't. When you were saying their rejection, was it more getting rejected by Alberta Health Services with difficulty to get access, or was it a challenge to get broadcasters and funders on board? Oh, yes, it was really difficult to get broadcasters on board. The only possibility to get it financed was, in a way, something like the nature of things or to go to Discovery Channel and all of these. And they said, oh, medicine doesn't sell well or for the nature of things. So at the beginning, they doubted that there would be enough signs in the film, although it's all based on signs and very young, very spectacular signs, transplant medicine. So it took a while to sell it. I think for them, I think the biggest challenge was to make them understand that the ratings may not be as high as if you make a film about elephants, but it's an important film that to some degree as a broadcaster, you just, you should not say no to a film like this. Well, clearly the wait paid off. In the end, it was uh, sold ultimately through an acquisition to PBS and it then was in the form of Vital Bonds, which was nominated as an Emmy. You did go to New York for the awards show. Is that Mm -hmm. a career highlight? What was that experience like? To have this Emmy nomination, that is really, truly wonderful, right? And it really helps opening doors for future projects. The Emmys in New York itself, so it's not the Emmys in uh, Los Angeles. Yeah, so these are the news Emmys, so they are not as important. Yeah, it's... um, it was great to be there. It was great to have the time with uh, people from PBS and, uh, and Nova and Sudando from the um, from CBC, The Nature of Things. She came too. So this was great. So now you are working on something that's totally different. Of course, still looking at a human condition, but just the lighter side of human condition with your most recent film, Queens of Dogville. Can you tell me what that film's about? So I have a dog. So first that, yes, I think dogs are awesome and they make you happy. It's the best thing you can have in your life besides children, but less work. And this dog-human bond, I was always fascinated by it. There's a reason we say the the human's best friend. And 
the communication that is happening between dogs and humans is really utterly fascinating. And it doesn't really happen with other animals, maybe a little bit with cats, but dogs, they have learned to make eye contact with us. They have learned to communicate with us so we can understand them and they do understand our body language most of the time. Agility, this dog sport, takes all this to another level where uh, without any incentives, treats or anything, you are running an obstacle course with your dog. Uh, keep in mind the humans stay on the ground but and only the dogs are running through the tunnels and over the obstacles but it's really complicated and these courses that are set up are quite challenging and and the dog hasn't seen the course before, only the humans have. It's an amazing um, connection and really um, teamwork that is happening between humans and dogs when you, when you watch them do this kind of sport. All day long, Kirsten and her mother Shauna build obstacle courses so they can play a game with their dogs called agility. So in this film, we really get into the world of agility and uh, especially with the Team Canada that are based here in Edmonton and they go all the way to the worlds in the Netherlands. They're clearly so passionate about it and so into it. What made you choose to explore this world with them and go on that journey to become the top dog? This started again with me learning that uh, that Edmonton is the hotbed for agility sports in Canada. Agility really is very competitive and very popular here in, in Alberta. And it all started with uh, one of my main characters, Shauna O'Neill, and her daughter. They brought agility to Edmonton and they're doing it full time. So this is their life. You can't find, I think, in the whole world, you won't find people who are as knowledgeable as Shauna and her daughter in this field, that you have even this this family that is absolutely into dog agility that is in itself is fascinating. Now, I have a dog, and she's really cute, but whenever I went over to Dynamo Dog Sports to meet the dogs there, that is just a different class of dogs. They are not pooches. They are really focused on the job. It's a fascinating world, yeah. What was the process like in making it? How long did you follow them for? I did a lot of development. I usually always do a lot of development. The development was over years. I first thought I would make it into a series, but this then seemed to be far too complicated and difficult to sell to broadcasters because whenever I told them about the story and they saw the clip, they really liked it. But then they said, so what's the story about? Is it about women or is it about dogs? And I said, it's about women running with dogs. Hmm. So I don't think we have a slot for both. So can't you just make a film about the dogs? So that's something we could find something for or, or just the women. So what kind of women are these? So these are the typical things you can run into when you try to sell a story. Is that something that you commonly face when you approach a broadcaster or a funder that they're looking to fill a slot or tick a box? Is that something that you have to have a bit of a back and forth conversation with or that you face a challenge that there's maybe a film or a series that's too similar to what you're doing? 
Yes, exactly. This happens all the time. So not so much funders, because in Canada, the funding is provincial and, and federal. So so you don't necessarily have to sell to funders, but you sell to distributors. They are really important uh, in it too, right? Because uh, it doesn't make sense really to make a film unless it has a market value. You want as many people as possible to see it. The distributor is really essential. And a lot of broadcasters, so they are stuck and they have their their boxes, right? So many documentaries about this and that. And so, and if something sounds really just a little bit uh, similar, then you won't have a chance to, to sell it anymore. We do work in a vocation. We work in a craft. It's something that you hone over the course of your career. What's the advice that you would give them for directors who want to hone their unique voice? How do they discover the voice within themselves? You have to read a lot. Read a lot of books. Read read anything that you can find. Read these books to get an idea of uh, storytelling, to find your voice in all of this, to understand that there are many, many creative ways to tell a story. This will certainly help to find your own voice. This unique voice that you are developing there, you really have to believe in it and you have to nurture it over time and and understand more and more about story, hopefully, with doing it. What's important, too, is that you are not afraid of rejections. In all of this with your voice, um, don't think it's like a God's voice. (laughs) Yeah, it is... It is just a unique style you hopefully develop to to tell your stories and make your story as entertaining and as amazing and stunning as possible. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. It was fun. I'm Roswitha Dransfeld, and these are my three tips for starting out in the industry. Number one, have a vision. Develop your style Make it as entertaining and stunning as possible. Number two, don't be afraid of rejections. Even if others are not willing to buy into your film, it doesn't mean that your idea is, um, is a bad idea. And number three is, and I can't say it um, often enough, read. Read as many books as you can, because with reading books, you will develop a sense for storytelling, and it will make your films so much better than they otherwise would be. That's our show for this week. Thanks so much for tuning in to episode one of Storylines. Storylines is a Women in Film and Television Alberta production that's made possible with the generous support from Alberta's Ministry of Culture, Multiculturalism, and Status of Women. Special thanks to Fava for its support on this production. Thanks very much to this week's guest, Rosvita Dransfeld. The show's executive producers are Elise Graham, Ava Carvinen, Samantha Quantz, and Teresa Winnick. Shana Giles is our associate producer and social media coordinator. The original storyline's theme is composed by Aaron Macri and Laura Rubaud. And I'm your host, senior producer, and audio technician, Sheena Rossiter. Make sure you tune in every week to catch the latest Storylines episode, where you can hear interviews and get tips from leading women in film and television. You can check us out and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, follow your storylines. We can't wait to see where they lead.